Welcome back to Rock for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart of the center of enterprise IT. Joined this week by Lilac and Zach, Mike sends his apologies from some Caribbean bolt hole where he's no doubt fishing square grouper out of the waves. But uh, this week, we wanted to talk about uh, going back to work. Uh, certainly, in my office, we're starting to see the emails coming around from, I believe they're called the Workplace Readiness Committee or something equally terrifying, about the policy for when offices will be reopened and when you can have meetings and what the process is for traveling to meet customers and so on and so forth. And the first question is, when you see something about back to workers, what exactly do you think we've been doing all this time? Because I've been working pretty hard. I don't know about the rest of you. But um, <laughs> there are some more serious aspects to this. And one is, you know, the, we've spoken about this before. It, this has been a very tiring year and change. And I think people have uh, now eaten a lot of the seed corn. We were coasting a lot. Well, not coasting, but we were working on the basis of relationships that we built up back when we could still go to the office. And we were able to more or less maintain those relationships, but it's hard to build new ones just over Slack and Zoom. And I think that's also eaten into a lot of the the enjoyment of work and the dynamic aspects of it. So on the one hand, there's this eagerness to get back to work and to get your vaccination shot and do that. But on the other hand, there's also a resistance to being forced to go back to work. As there's a piece in Bloomberg earlier this week about people who were actually quitting their jobs, not threatening to quit, actually quitting, because they were being forced to go back to being in the office nine to five, five days a week. And that's also legitimate. I've been remote for, I don't even remember how many years, a decade plus, and I would struggle to give that up. But also, I found it very wearing being stuck between these four worlds all year. So it's a kind of interesting yin and yang going on there. Uh, what do you think, Lilac? I mean, I am actually looking forward to being back in the office. I, I agree with that sort of relationship building element of being in the office. And honestly, I would give my left arm for a whiteboard. And I know that the listeners probably have a thousand recommendations for virtual whiteboards. And I'm going to tell you, a pen in my hand that smells of chemicals. No, no. Physical <laughs> whiteboard is where it's at. So that's why I have one mounted on the wall right here. Yes, but it's very difficult with your whiteboard on the wall to collaborate with the person in the Zoom. Oh, yeah. That's strictly for me. It's because it's more satisfying to rub something off the whiteboard than to check it off the reminders list. That's right. And, and let's all admit we have a low-grade addiction to the chemical scent. Like, that's just part of our professional life. I desperately miss parts of being in the office. And by the way, not the least of which is the fact that when I'm in the office, I'm actually not also a mother and the person who has to get some laundry done and maybe load the dishwasher. Um, so there's a separation of duties that's uh, important for that. But at the same time, like, honestly, I was on a call the other day and people were talking about why don't we just make it personal choice and whoever wants to come in now comes in now. And I thought, well, the, the other problem with that is until you've solved the child care problem, which I would argue in the States is going to run through the summer because a lot of us camps didn't quite get it together. And a lot of us weren't sure or didn't trust the way camps would get it together. I really don't have the option to be in the office for more than a few hours a day until September. And so setting an expectation that I need to be 
is basically dismissive of the of the needs of parents, which frankly has sort of been an ongoing challenge to this entire experience. Yeah, it seems like a recurring theme. And today's the last day of school for my eldest too. So <laughs> this is very much front and center uh, to my mind, absolutely. Luckily, their camps seem to be more or less operating and it's all outdoor stuff. But yes, it's uh, definitely a hard assumption. How about you, Zach? Are you ready to go back to the office? You know, I never really went to an office, but I miss traveling. So I'm ready to start traveling to offices to visit clients. To your point, Lilac, even for me, I, I miss getting to a whiteboard, uh, you know, physically seeing somebody being in their presence and just kind of mentally just, you know, being in that moment. And it's really difficult sometimes over a Zoom or a Teams meeting or something to, you know, you're you're there, you're on video, you're you're trying to stay engaged, but it, there's always just something else it seems. But uh, so for me, yeah, I miss I miss traveling to meet clients, and it, it kind of, um, you know, when I worked from home, I, at first I was trying to continue to you know wear the nice polo shirt or whatever it might be. Right, some meetings I'd wear a button-up shirt, and I've gone away from that completely, and I feel as though it's also going to be, I don't know, maybe good and healthy for me to actually, you know get my hair cut a little more regularly or, uh, you know, or seriously, or, 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 you know, put on a nice pair of shoes and, you know, whatever, an outfit and get on a plane and go visit some customers. It sounds crazy, but um, I, I, I miss that. And I think I need that a little bit. Yeah. I started actually putting on more, I wouldn't say super formal clothes. Like there's, you know, things that, things that were zoom formal, which means that they don't have to be formal from the waist down. But, um, and I actually found that it really helped mm -hmm. me right to put on, clothes and, and put on makeup and fix my hair and not look like I'm on my way back from a yoga class at all times. Um, and, and that import, that was important also to the posture. I mean, I'm in the position where, where we've acquired a major company in this pandemic. And as a result, like there's literally hundreds of employees that I have never met in person, which is a crazy experience. And part of what makes you feel normal is to look normal, if that makes sense, and present yourself in a way that you had always sort of associate with your professional persona. But I think the flip side is also true, right? Like this sort of, for a lot of women in particular, you know, we haven't had to be primped and office ready. And for us, that is typically often a higher bar. Um, and, and so this sort of, okay, let's do this again. <laughs> Where did I put the heels? <laughs> is like so, somewhat of a barrier, right? And so the question to me will be like, to what extent when we go back, is it going to be okay? I don't expect to be able to walk into the office in yoga pants, but to what extent is it going to be okay for us to settle down a little bit? Um, my feeling, by the way, my hunch is not at all. My hunch is that there's going to be zero flexibility in that, at least in my own mind. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing. I've, I've always been fighting a rearguard action in the other direction. I was always the one in the suit and tie when the other guys are, are in the hoodie because well, for the same reason that you just described, because it's putting on my work face and my work clothes and kind of goes together. I'm now in a work frame of mind, ready to go and hit that whiteboard. But the male experience of that is different from the female experience of that. The guys can show up, especially in IT, right? So I'm assuming that most of the listeners of this podcast are in IT. Guys can show up in pretty much whatever, and in this good, and that is not the case uh, very often for for women, and I think that's going to be that the childcare, all sorts of assumptions around how people present themselves and comport themselves, 
are going to be tested in the return to the office. And there are all sorts of reasons why people might legitimately say, no, this is not for me. And then the concern that I have, though, is in the hybrid workplace, what does that mean for promotion track? How does a hybrid team operate if two-thirds of the team are in the meeting room and everyone else is on the end of the Zoom call? Or, you know, one person is in the office grabbing lunch with the boss and the other person is halfway across the country trying to wrangle their newborn into their onesie. Is that going to lead to a situation a few years from now where there's going to be this massive disparity in career outcomes between the people who hurried back to the office on day one and the people who took advantage of opportunities that were legitimately offered but then hit some uh, consequences there? I I actually, you know, we worked remotely together, Dominic, for a a couple years. Mm. Um, And I have to say that I never had the smallest trouble with that. And I never had the smallest trouble assessing or understanding what you were up to. And that actually continues to be true. Like I I had, even in my last role, I had one of my leaders was remote. And I actually think that it, it, it it requires both people to want it to work. Right. So that's definitely true. You could work for a boss that would make this impossible. And you could be an employee that makes this impossible by being, I don't know, elusive or unavailable or, or whatever. But, um, but I think that with good intention on both sides and good faith on both sides, I actually don't think that it matters that much. I do think, though, to your earlier point, right, once a quarter, you know, I think I think we saw each other once a quarter, whether it was in the States or in Rome or in Prague, we saw each other once a quarter. And I think that actually really mattered. Yeah, because that was when we could get together around a whiteboard and get stuff done. And that would replenish the the relationship so that we could get through the rest of the quarter and knowing though what the baseline was where each other's heads were at and that's the part that's that i think we've been missing when i talk about eating the seed corn i mean we've been relying on those built-up relationships but we've been eroding them and we haven't been building up new ones in the same way and that's why i'm eager to get back on a plane i've hired people on my team and i've never met them in person and we're making it work because we're professionals, we're grown-ups, but it's it's not easy. It's going to be a lot better when we can catch up in person. I would just say that you're lying to our listeners. We did not sit around a whiteboard. We sat around a cheese plate. Yeah, and that, was that may also have happened. <laughs> I, I seem to believe there was also some Macallan, and we ended up settling on exactly which <laughs> year was the best uh, ROI. <laughs> we did some great research in that time. <laughs> But no, you know, Zach and I were in the same boat. We worked together, but uh, we would meet up every, yeah, same thing. It was about every couple of months, every quarter. And that was also the occasion in which we met up with other parts of the company. And you had those serendipitous conversations, whether it was over the cheese board or the Macallan or the whiteboard. And you'd find out, oh, you know, so-and-so is planning a thing. And you go, oh, that really fits with something I'm doing. And you'd both come out of it with something better than you'd gone in that you could never have done over a Zoom or a Slack or a Miro or yada, yada, yada. Well, I mean, let's be honest. We have our work family and our home family. Everybody talks about that. And so, I mean, you know, I'm missing the work family side of this, right? I mean, yeah, again, we've had video, but that's not the same to me. So, yeah, to be able, you're right, Dominic. And, and to this day, I still meet people that we work or meet, of course, I still speak with other people that we've worked with, and we still talk about some of those, you know, 
gatherings we had every month, couple months, right? Where everybody was there and we sort of share the funny stories and it gets us by and we talk about it. And those are becoming more and more distant memories and they shouldn't be. So I, I, I agree with you. It's, um, it'd be good to get back together and, and have those meetings and have those gatherings and, um, yeah, engage with your, your work family. I think, I mean, this, this, and let's remember, this was a, a switch that flipped quickly a little over a year ago. It wasn't like we, we, you know, kind of eased into this. It was like overnight, boom, you know, you don't have your work yeah. family. You don't have any of this. Here you go, figure it out. Nobody's going anywhere. And that's, I think sometimes that's lost on us, or at least it's lost on me. And it's just like, well, it was like hitting a wall really fast. And uh, yeah, there are times where I complained. I don't want to travel at all. My guy was traveling three weeks in a row, four weeks, five weeks. You know, what is this? You know, but now I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to do that. Let's yeah. to travel would be good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a thing. A year ago. <laughs> yeah. A year ago, people were saying to me, yo, you've. You've always been remote. You're working from home, and this is no change for you. It's like, well, yes and no. So, I think one thing that's going to be interesting, going from the micro to the macro, is going to be how does this work for commercial real estate? As the assumption was that, uh, in clouds terms, right? So, joining a couple of threads, we used to provision for peak capacity because the assumption was we had a pretty high baseline. Everyone would commute into the office. And so the office would be full. And then every now and then, all the remote weirdos like the three of us would fly in and commandeer meeting rooms or whatever, or we'd all meet at the Swan and Dolphin in Orlando and do things that way. Wow. <laughs> right? Deep cut. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> but the office would be pretty much full most of the time, and there'd be maybe a couple of hot desks in a corner. What does that look like if substantial fraction of the people want to be flexible? But you still want to have the team meetings, the all hands. I mean, this is where the the WeWork model, ironically, actually steps into its own, because that's what you want. You want flexible capacity. You want to be able to provision for a smaller baseline, but then surge much higher at peak times. And the WeWork, or whatever it is, can be the, the Amazon Web Services of this world and have the, the permanent capacity that leases out on demand and as long as not every single client wants capacity the same week, you're fine. And pricing can take care of that. There's a reason why companies don't try to have meetings in the San Francisco Bay Area during Worldwide Developer Conference Week. It's because all the hotels are booked up and really expensive. The problem takes care of itself and people find a different week to have their company event. So maybe there's a resurgence. I think you're right. I mean, I think... So I guess from my perspective, I think we're going to like a full hoteling model, except for people who are really important. Um, and Same. I actually find that incredibly frustrating, honestly. Like um, there, there's no place for my voice in it. But I think that if you're doing that, I think you have to rethink the entire dynamics of the office and not just think to yourself, OK, as long as I have a jack to plug in the laptop, we're fine. That's not actually that we are fundamentally digital people we no longer carry around 15 o'reilly books everywhere we go however we carry around more shit than we are sort of letting on i think and um in particular i feel like i feel like the the conversations i've had with guys about this they're like yeah i need like my chapstick and my hand cream maybe and you're like well you say that right you say that but you actually have a, a pen and a piece of paper and a pad and a you probably have 15 things. I know this because you pack them when you travel. Um, and then women probably have 30 things, 
right? And and so I feel like the dynamics, and I think that people super underestimate how important those things are and how difficult it is to navigate and negotiate around them if you don't have a place for them. And even a locker, by the way, is actually, I think, very, um, I wouldn't even call it a sufficient solution. I would say it's like vaguely meets minimum, right? No, the locker is for if you ride into work on your bicycle and you got caught in the rain and you have a change of clothes. That's what the locker is That's for. That's right. For and desks. I think one of the things, I'll link to the McSweeney article in the show notes about like how why women don't want to go back into the office full time. And that whole article like really cut deep, right? I read it and I was like, I was feeling feelings of, of sadness and anger. And um, uh, the the truth is, is that like, as and I'll just put this bluntly, as a woman working in an office without a desk, you have got to carry your purse some percentage of the time every single fucking place you go in the office. And you can't go make a detour in the two minute break to the locker to unlock your locker to get what you need to go to the bathroom if you pre if you knew that you needed it to go to the bathroom to come back, right? Like this is a crazy level of shenanigans that we actually have to engage with on a reasonably ad hoc manner on a once a month at least like right for like a 25% of the time that is a crazy thing to ask of people um and i just don't think that the logistics and the um not just the logistics but the optics of that are clear and so now we work from home nobody knows anything about what i'm doing and what i'm carrying around with me and where i'm going and how often i'm doing it going to the office actually and then and then further going to the office without having a desk becomes a true logistical and emotional problem for a lot of people. And I honestly don't think anybody cares because I don't think anybody's communicating that to anybody who's running these, making these decisions, which are by and large individuals who don't have these problems. Which is something we should be talking about. I don't have that particular problem due to biology. I I do expend an amount of brain waves that would probably surprise and horrify people of the female persuasion on exactly what goes into my backpack and procuring and sourcing the exact right accessory and the kits and the loadout. If you want to know, go look at the everyday carry groups uh, on the internet. Uh, uh, skipping the ones that uh, mention the word tactical, stay away from those ones. Especially if you're European, you'll be horrified. So what, what happens with all these uh, employees that, you know, flood, flood these cities or flood into the suburbia, you know, world of uh, you know, parts of the country and things like that. I mean, getting them back into the office. And I also wonder about some of these companies that, you know, they shed their, you know, their corporate offices. I mean, there's some companies that don't have it. One of them is a big consulting firm, McKinsey. They got rid of their headquarters, right? They just have some road offices. But I just wonder uh, what happens there. There are a lot of people that just moved out into suburbia. Yeah, there's going to be a bifurcation in the, in the markets. And uh, even back when, if you remember, Zach... You and I were at a San Francisco-based startup, and we had to hire a PR agency. I think this may have been slightly before you joined. And we ended up hiring not a Bay Area agency. We ended up hiring a group of people who are out of, I think, Oklahoma, something very random from a European perspective. But the point was, if we'd hired a San Francisco-based company, we'd have been you know, their 197th most important customer. By hiring these people out in the Midwest or the prairies or whatever the correct term is, apologies, I'm being insensitive, uh, we were like their 
top three customer and we got their absolute best work and it didn't make any difference. They could fly to us just about as easily as someone could get across town in San Francisco during rush hour. it it really worked out. I think there's going to be that type of bifurcation where things that really need to happen in office will happen in office. Things that don't need to happen in office will be remote. I do think that there will be a return to business travel in a big way for those quarterly, monthly, whatever frequency ends up making sense, team catch-up sessions to, to do the whiteboarding stuff that doesn't work well remotely, that we haven't yet found a good solution for remotely. Yeah, one thing is certain, it, it's not going to be the same. What it looks like will be different. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And I don't think it'll be solved overnight. It's not going to just look that no, back. Some of the, some back, of the right? aggressive, exactly. Some of the aggressive predictions, people were saying, uh, you know, we've seen a decade acceleration in online retail. And it turned out we hadn't. We just front-loaded a couple of years' worth of acceleration into six months, and then it went right back to the curve it was on before. I don't think it'll be exactly as it was. I don't think it'll or it'll be burnt down completely. It'll be somewhere in the middle. But I do hope that this is going to be one of those moments where we can start taking into account the perspectives of people who have a different experience and how that works. I'm hopeful that you're right. Oh, it won't just happen, to be clear. We'll all have to make it happen. That's right. And I feel like you have to want to make it happen. And there is a very strong tendency among most people in power to revert to the status quo, which worked so well for them. Which made them powerful. Yes. That's right. And so I think that it's just, it, it, I think it, it's going to continue to be a battle. So maybe what we have here is an opportunity for somebody's voice to be heard like a crack in the door, um, maybe, right? And and see how that plays out. I, I'm hopeful on that front, but I'm not, um, I don't know. I think it also butts up against the dynamic that I think we've, we've, we talk a lot about people's career paths and how they're impacted by being in the office and having lunch with a boss. I also feel like what we don't talk about is that a lot of people in this pandemic realize that their dream of a career path is actually fundamentally shifted right? Like for years, we were living in this sort of capitalist dreamland where everybody thought they had a shot at the CEO ring or something. And if only they worked hard enough. And that was like a story we sold to all of the young kids of the 80s and 90s. And anybody who entered corporate was like, how do I make it to VP? How do I make it to SVP? How do I make it to CEO? I think a lot of people in the last year were just like, fuck this noise. And since we're already using the explicit language sensor, I'm going to just keep rolling with it. Like, I'm not interested in that. I actually want to have a good job that I'm doing well for a reasonable amount of time per week. And I'm happy to go live in outer Mongolia in order to do that. And 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 that is a trade-off that people are explicitly making right now. And in doing so, I think that the balance of value of lunch with the boss might have actually shifted. And we can maybe explicitly stop pretending that everybody is interested in that same corporate outcome. Yes, and <laughs> I hope you're right, as I'm a late Gen X or early millennial, depending on how you count it. Geriatric millennial, I think, is the new term. That's the term, yeah. And my, my white hairs, thank you. But <laughs> um, we did see in the years leading up to all of this, the kind of implosion of the digital nomad vision, uh, we had all these people out in you know Bali arranging drop shipping empires, and it turns out they were all basically pyramid schemes. 
and it was all fueled by Instagram likes rather than actual profits. And it all came tumbling down. So I don't know. I mean, that's a very attractive vision that I also had in the 90s that, you know, we'd all wear black T-shirts and combat boots and neon hair and hang out in Berlin squats with our laptops. It didn't quite work out that way. And, and that's why I'm a little bit wary of, of it this time around. Anyway, we shall see. But an example of how that can go wrong is, of course, cyber criminals uh, taking advantage of this moment. So there are phishing campaigns going around that are targeting the return to office. So people masquerading as the CIO giving you advice about how to return to the office. And it's actually just a way to try and steal your credentials and uh, plant some ransomware in the corporate network. So, you know, people continue to be lovely. But security will always be good business. Uh, FireEye just sold a bunch of their tech uh, to Symphony Technology Group. And I have to admit ignorance. I had not heard of this group before today. Had either of you heard anything about Symphony before the FireEye acquisition? No, I haven't. But how crazy is that? And then the remaining company will be fall under, I guess, the returning CEO's uh, company he he had right is uh, essentially his, his last name yeah, yeah the, the yeah, mandiant yeah, yeah, yeah. brand goes back to being independent so wow how they went from being a company that cisco wanted to acquire back in i think 2013 2014 i forget for and this was an all cash i think this was all cash uh, offer i think it was seven billion it might have been a little more than that how you've gone from that saying no at the time to cisco they basically told them to go fly a kite which is insane to me but that's what they did to where you are today, let that be a lesson for some of these companies that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, don't, um, I don't know, uh, you know, they, you know, it's worked for other organizations that said no, it worked for Datadog that said no to Cisco, what it right before their IPO and they've done well, their, their market cap has done well, but it did not work out well for FireEye. Wow. is all I got to say. No, timing is everything. Uh, speaking of big acquisitions, Stack Overflow just sold for 1.8 billion with a B. And I tried to find this tweet again, but in Twitter's usual helpful way, it won't show it to me. But someone had the most amazing Twitter comment. So I guess they just bought the largest database of wrong answers on the internet. (laughs) 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 That was amazing. But it also lines up with the the, um, April's Fool prank they played, where they they threatened to monetize copy and pasting uh, out of Stack Overflow, uh, which was excellent. I mean, we'll see where this goes in terms of an acquisition. The the acquirers are just a fund, as far as I know, rather than operators. So I, a, sensible, a sensible play for them would seem to be to just keep things going. Don't mess with the goose that lays the golden eggs. Maybe figure out how to monetize a little bit around the edges. I, I tri- I, so congratulations, though, to the Stack Overflow community. Such a big Yeah, one. well, I attribute all these crazy valuations to inflation. I mean, there's this is crazy. I mean... Wow, all I got to say is just wow. The value of Stack Overflow is unquestioned. If you need to do anything, you go to Stack Overflow first. And I've done a very little development in my time. And even if the answer is wrong, like sometimes you land in these ridiculously convoluted Rube Goldberg machines. Uh, wait a minute, there's got to be an easier way of doing it. But this will point you in the right direction. And there's always something valuable there. It's really interesting that something that is effectively a community right? Like when you look at the comps of Stack Overflow, you almost necessarily have to go to Reddit. Like these are 
they're fundamentally distinct, but also fundamentally the same. And they're basically getting at some like a multiple that is as much about Facebook as it is about technology, um, because you're basically buying a community and a destination. And it's interesting that these how these have evolved, because a long time ago, you would have said that that was Yahoo, right? Like uh, 20 years ago, Yahoo was a destination, right? And, and I wonder how I mean, thank God I'm not in the business of valuing these things, honestly, because I don't know, they always have sort of ebbs and flows. Like even now, I think we're seeing perhaps the beginning of the downfall of Facebook, just because all the kids these days aren't there anymore. And that means that the demographic is going to slowly shift to grandpa. Um, I, I wonder how you value an organization like Stack Overflow. And, and I'm willing to bet there's a, just a lot of dynamics around incoming net new. Are the, are the kids these days still going to Stack, Stack Overflow? Or is that where the geriatric millennials are hanging out? <laughs> like, um, it, it it's just a, an interesting dynamic. I, I guess I'm, I feel quite blessed not to be in that particular business. Definitely hard, hard business to be in. But with that, let's go to recommendations. And this is mainly an ego trip for me because I've had a recommendation that's been sitting in the queue for, I don't even know how many weeks. Uh, so it's a novella by someone called Nino Cipri. Uh, I believe that's how they pronounce their name. Uh, it's called uh, Defect with spelt with a K. Uh, it's a sequel to an earlier novella called Finna. And the idea is basically familiar if you've ever been around an Ikea, maybe an Ikea just around closing time when it's a little bit empty and getting a little bit eerie and everything is looking just a little bit unheimlich. And you wonder, you know, this looks very much like other Ikeas I've been in. What if they're all connected together? And these novellas just take that and run with it. And it is just hilarious. And don't start reading it at bedtime because you'll just keep going. I cannot recommend these two highly enough. So enjoy. Do either of the two of you have any recommendations you want to share this week? I have the most the most boring one, which you have recommended low these many years, Dominic, which is I finally bought a freaking yes. iPad. And um, I'm very happy. I have a magic keyboard with it. I absolutely jacked up the headphone problem, and so now I have to go find myself some AirPods. But um, it is amazing. If it's any consolation, I did the same thing. I forgot to order a Thunderbolt jack with my iPad Pro, so now I have to get one. It just really looks the same in the pictures. Um, I am excited to be able to answer emails with a full keyboard again (laughs) in my life. That has been really, really missing for the last 18 months. Wait a minute. So did you get the color you were looking for? I think it was rose gold. I did get rose gold because I played in my basic, basic type. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I've been looking, I have, I have had one iPad I've owned in my life and that was the second generation years ago. And I want to get another one. So I have to ask you, uh, what do you, you say you're productive? I mean, what, what is so great about this iPad that you bought and what made you finally go out and do it? Because I'm thinking, and you said you got the pro, right? So you got the, what is it? I got the oh. pro. I got the arrow. Oh. I didn't get the pro. I, I got yeah, Dominic is a leading edge uh, individual. I mean, honestly, partly I, so I had no device for doing email that wasn't like a really old Chromebook or my phone. Personal email was shut off at work for reasons that will merit an entire rant on a podcast at one point, at some point. Um, and so the result though, is that like basically all of, all of the security protocols on my work laptop where I usually multitask my life basically got me running up against a wall constantly. The number of sites that are blocked, um, frankly, some of them I need for work even, and I can't actually, I can't actually access. And I, 
Um, so I didn't want the iPad for the longest time because I said, I don't have any arms to carry an iPad and a laptop around my house with me and have two devices, but I have line of sight to a desk now. Um, and that feels like I might be able to keep these two side by side and live a much, much happier life. And so that was the motivation. Interesting. Good. Good. Uh, well, I, I don't have any recommendations this week, but I will be prepared next week with some good recommendations. We'll look forward to it. Well, with that, we will leave Lilac to the tender mercies of the Department of Prevention of Information Technology Services. <laughs> so, a Dilbert quote from back when Dilbert was good and Scott Adams had not gone off the deep end. Goodbye, Scott Adams. <laughs> he milkshakes back in, in the most spectacular way. It was visible from orbit. <laughs> but we will be talking to you all next week. So thank you for listening. You will find all of the links that we mentioned in the show notes. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page. Uh, those links are also in the show notes. And what you will also find is the link to the website of my good friend, Renato Podestar, who makes the theme music that's playing under my voice if all has gone according to plan. Please do send us suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes. And we will talk to you then. Thanks and goodbye. Thanks, everybody.